From the Beantown Athletic Studio in Boston, this is the Danny Picard Show, Wednesday, May 10th, 2017. Today's show is presented by Beantown Athletics, your number one source for screen printing and embroidery. Go to BeantownAthletics.com right now to get a free quote for your customized apparel. Today's show is also presented by DraftKings. You can play for free at DraftKings.com by using my promo code PIC, that's P-I-C, at DraftKings. Every day is a brand new season, especially during the Major League Baseball season, and it's easy. Just fill out your lineup, two starting pitches, three outfielders, and the rest of your infield, and then follow the action live on your DraftKings app. Now, if you listen to this show, you know I tell you all the time, I do not play regular fantasy baseball anymore. The main reason being the season is just way too long, and I consider myself a pretty good fantasy baseball player, so I want to get rewarded right away. I don't want to have to wait until the end of the season to get my money. At DraftKings, that's not an issue. You can put together a different lineup every single day. In fact, put together more than one lineup every single day with a chance to win every single night and it's not just baseball DraftKings has something for everybody even during the Stanley Cup playoffs and NBA playoffs so what are you waiting for go to DraftKings.com right now or download their app and play for free by using my promo code PIC that's P-I-C joining me in studio today is Chris Mannix from Yahoo Sports NBC Sports Comcast Sportsnet New England uh, Chris, I'm not missing anything right now. No, right? I think no, you, I'm not uh, missing. I got it all. I think you got it covered. Uh, the Vertical Podcast and the Yahoo Sports Boxing Podcast. Both will be out this Thursday, a new episode, Thursday of this week on iTunes. Get that. Also, follow Chris on Twitter, at ChrisMannixYS. Chris, how you doing today? I'm good, man. Good to uh, be back out here in Dorchester. Man. Yeah. It's nice out here. Yeah. yeah. And you made you know, Quincy, Dorchester, you, you got it all covered. Yeah, it's right in between. Like, it's a nice, easy drive yeah. from uh, from Quincy, only but a couple of miles. I like it. What do you think of the studio? Here? I love it, man. This is a better studio than I have in New York, that's for sure. I mean, I mean, in New York City, you get used to uh, living in the dark, basically. Like, if you get an apartment with a window, it, mm. it's, it's like striking gold. Same thing with the studio. If you get one small window, you've got... Two windows, you can look at the street. I mean, this is this is the high life. Right on Granite Ave. I'm telling right you. Right on Granite Ave. High life. Here at Beantown Athletics. So uh, let's get right into it because we're right in the middle of the NBA playoffs. So we'll get into some boxing in a few minutes as well. But I want to open with the NBA. Uh, last night, what, game five on Tuesday night, the San Antonio Spurs, they beat the Houston Rockets in game five. The Spurs have a 3-2 series lead. Spurs win that game in overtime. Manu Ginobili with discovering the fountain of youth there in overtime with a block shot on James Harden. Um, but I didn't bring you in here to talk Spurs Rockets. I brought you in here to talk Celtics. Celtics Wizards game five at the Garden tonight on this Wednesday night series tied at two. But the main story, the biggest story the last couple of days has been about Kelly Olynyk. Why? Why are we talking about Kelly Olynyk being a dirty player? Well, I think Draymond Green really got the ball rolling and made it a national story by making the comments that he did on his podcast. It, it was, I mean, it was hilarious to hear Draymond Green talk about another player being dirty. The last couple of weeks, even in the even in the aftermath of the Kevin Love incident, you didn't hear a lot about Kel, uh, Kelly Olynyk being a dirty player. Might that have been a dirty play? Maybe I think it's borderline. But one borderline dirty play does not make a dirty player. All of a sudden, there's the Kelly Oubre situation. There's Draymond Green, who plays this guy at most twice a year, mm. chiming in on all this. All of a sudden, it's become a Kelly Olynyk dirty player thing. 
I don't see it. I didn't think that shot to Kelly Oubre that he took, it was maybe an illegal screen. It was close, but it did not warrant that reaction. Now, people have said to me it's a culmination of everything. It's the shots Oubre was taking. Some of the shots Oubre was taking were coming from guys on his own team. He was mistaking it from being for being uh, uh, Kelly Olynyk. This is just... This has become a, a, a avalanche of a story that uh, that I don't think has any merit. I don't think Kelly Olynyk is a dirty player at all. Well, why does Draymond Green care? I don't know. I mean, I just he's, that's what no, I don't look, understand. He's born. He's born. He like Golden State is just rolling through the postseason. They mm. have not been challenged at all up until this point. I didn't listen to the entire podcast. I don't know if he was prompted or if he just if this was in the news and he decided to affirm what uh, the Wizards were saying about Kelly Olynyk, but this is what Draymond does. He's bored. He sees cameras. He sees a microphone in front of him. He says something controversial. He, he enjoys it. He'll tell you that. He enjoys uh, you know, stirring the pot a little bit. That's exactly what he did here. Does that speak to a bigger issue with the NBA? And I mean, he's bored. It's the NBA playoffs. Well, and look, he's bored? It, yeah, it, it does speak to a bigger issue because, you know, this Adam Silver, you know, in, in private will tell you that he hates these types of playoffs where it's basically a coronation in both conferences instead of a competition. You just don't have any team that can compete with Cleveland or Golden State. I mean, look, whoever comes out of this Boston-Washington series, they might win a game, maybe. Maybe they win two, but they have no chance to beat Cleveland. The way Cleveland's playing right now, Mm. they have flipped the proverbial switch and proven us all wrong about the regular season having anything to do with the postseason. Same thing with Golden State. Maybe a full-strength San Antonio could have caused them some problems, but the Spurs are down Tony Parker. We don't know Kawhi Leonard's status moving forward. This is just this is just a a, a, a complete... Uh, they're just barreling towards each other once again. And it's hard, Danny, to see... It's hard to see how that changes in the next couple of years. Sure. It looks like these two teams are bound for part four and part five of this rivalry, giving it sort of that... That, that Celtic-Lakers feel of the 1980s. Yeah, I, because, I mean, unless Durant leaves. Which is not going to. Which is not going to happen, he's right? Gonna, he's going to opt out because that's what makes him more money. But re-sign with Golden and State. And re-sign with Golden State. I mean, I know it, it was floated out there recently that, you know, I think it was uh, uh, Kendrick Perkins who said that uh, KD could wind up back in Oklahoma City someday. Well, maybe, but that's not going to happen for at least another five years. I think he signs a five-year max-level contract with uh, with Golden State, joining Steph Curry and the rest of that group for at least the next three or four years. Well, right now the Warriors with Kevin Durant, they're rolling through the Western Conference, and Draymond Green, he's bored because of it, and he's taking shots at Kelly Olynyk. In fact, Isaiah Thomas fired back, and Draymond Green tweeted out, just get through uh, that second-round series, bro. And, and I just, Draymond Green, it's getting to the point where... He's almost on the same level when it comes to his comments and me caring about him and wanting to listen to it. He's almost on the same level as Le- LeVar Ball. Well, not, well, hold on. He's not I, there I, yet, but no, he's close. I, I don't put him in that, in that stratosphere. Like, LeVar Ball's son has done nothing, and LeVar is charging 500 bucks for a pair of sneakers and, um, you know, putting him out there was saying that Jordan couldn't sell these sneakers because he wasn't, you know, a big baller, whatever the hell that means. Uh, Draymond Green talks the talk, but he also walks the walk. I mean, Draymond is probably the defensive player of the year uh, this season. He uh, has won a championship, has been to two straight finals. He is not along for the ride with Golden State. He's a great player contributing to what Golden State's done. So I may disagree with his comments, but I think he's been afforded the right to say them because of what he's accomplished. Yeah, and look, I'm not, I'm not trying to make it sound Lamar like... Ball's I, I'm not, Lamar Ball's an idiot. Lamar Ball's just Sure, Draymond Green is a great basketball player. I, I, I think that... You know, he does some things on the court when, when things don't go his way. You saw what, I think it was Friday or Saturday night over yep. the weekend where he got, I couldn't believe how how much he was in the ref's face. And they didn't even tee him up until he got to the bench he is, and was chirping. He, I don't think there's a player in the league 
Perkin, Kendrick Perkins, we just mentioned, was close. But Draymond Green never thinks he commits a foul and always thinks he gets fouled. And he always lets it be known. I never thought that was a great strategy because you've got to pick your spots with referees. If you complain all the time, you are never going to get calls. But if you're selective with it, if you have what I've found, and this is from talking to referees mm. you know, privately about this kind of stuff, if, you, if you're selective with it, it's a better way to not get them on your side. That's the wrong way to put it, but to get them to think that, okay, maybe he's right about something like this. It's like what they used to say about Ted Williams. Ted Williams never complained to umpires about uh, balls and strikes. When he did, uh, umpires would take notice of it because Ted Williams yeah. had such a tremendous eye. Mm-hmm. All right. So, I mean, that's the relationship, I guess, between Green and the officials. But it's just sometimes I look at him on the court going nuts, and, and you just want to tell him to shut up. And now, especially where he's chiming in with the Kelly Olynyk stuff, and even firing back at Isaiah Thomas, it's, you just want to tell him to be quiet. I, I'm not using this to knock Draymond Green the player. He's a great player. But I don't want to listen to him, much like I don't want to listen to LeVar Ball. I mentioned LeVar Ball, and you said his son has, has done nothing, right? That's a fact. They're selling these sneakers for 500 bucks. What's it for a pair of sandals? 200 200 which is... <laughs> what, what does a pair of sandals go for on the average? I uh, think 50 bucks, not even? 35 I, I, 40 I, cr- I cringe at times paying 20 bucks for a pair of sandals. <laughs> yeah. I do. I'm like, oh, do I really need to do that? Do if you I need sandals? Some... Or no. if you're at the beach, I mean, you could just go barefoot on the yeah, sand. Yeah, I, 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 mean? I don't... I definitely. And those sandals, by the way, they're the equivalent of shower shoes. They're like those basic slip your foot into them, step into the shower and wear them around. They're not even like beach sandals. That you were, I, I don't get it. And he's, by the way, he's lying about the numbers that are sold. I mean, we saw NiceKicks.com did some research on it and saw that only 350 or so sneakers had actually been sold. He said it was thousands up until this point. Pete, not to get off track, but kids are the ones that buy sneakers or have their parents buy sneakers. No parent in their right mind is going to pay $500 for a sneaker no. brought to you by a guy who's done jack. No, and, and the more LeVar Ball talks, the more the Ball family speaks. Well, people need to stop putting him that, on TV. They need to stop putting him on TV because he's just going to lie. He's just going to say stuff that's patently untrue. Now, here's the question with, with the, uh, LeVar and Lonzo Ball, which I'm a little bit astonished by the answers I get from GMs and former GMs. I consistently ask them, would LeVar Ball give you pause to draft Lonzo Ball? And, and this could come up for Boston if they wind up with the number two pick. You almost can't pass on Lonzo because he's that he has that much potential. And every GM I've talked to, including uh, you know not Danny Ainge, but people in in mm-hmm. the Celtics organization, they say no. They say Levar Ball wouldn't bother them. They draft the guy. They'd have to talk to him, but they wouldn't. It wouldn't bother them. I disagree with that. I think this is the kind of guy that if it's if Lonzo gets tossed into a system, let's use the Knicks for example. If Lonzo gets tossed into the triangle offense, which is bad enough as it is, but if he gets tossed in that offense, LeVar Ball is going to lose his mind. And he's going to do it in a market where the tabloids are going to eagerly talk to him. They're going to say, oh, yeah, 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 what do you think about Phil? What do you think about Jeff Hornacek? And it's going to become a story, and it's going to become a distraction. I still would draft him number two, but everything LeVar's done up until this point has given me reason to reconsider it to say the least well you said a few minutes ago getting off track this isn't getting off track because when we talk about Lonzo Ball we have to bring up the Celtics because the NBA draft lottery is next week and the Celtics have that Brooklyn pick it could be number one who knows maybe they get screwed and they get number two but even at number two Lonzo Ball could be sitting there for him and if it was me I'd pass on Lonzo Ball. I wouldn't take Lonzo Ball. And, and I think it even goes beyond just LeVar Ball. LeVar Ball's the biggest factor, but also you got Isaiah Thomas. And, and I just, I, I want to build around Isaiah. I'll ask you about Isaiah in a minute. But 
When it comes to, to Lonzo Ball and the Celtics, if they get a pick, would they, would they take him? Or would they pass on him? Regardless of what you hear from people, what would you do? Because I know what I'd do. I would pass on Lonzo Ball. I just would not take him if he was available to me. I don't care how good he is. I think this whole circus that LeVar Ball has created has, has made me want to stay as far away from his son as possible. Well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pass on Lonzo Ball. If I had the number two pick, my, my philosophy with the Celtics draft has been this. Number one, you draft Markel Fultz no matter what. I think he is a Russell Westbrook, early Derrick Rose type of franchise player. I draft him no matter what. Number two, with that second pick, I would shop it aggressively. I would look to the Indiana Pacers mm-hmm. if Paul George doesn't sign that extension. I would look to the Chicago Bulls, who are certainly giving out smoke signals that they're open to discussing Jimmy Butler. I would shop that pick hard in a package to get one of those two players. But if I couldn't make a deal, I wouldn't draft Josh Jackson. I wouldn't draft Jason Tatum. I would draft Lonzo Ball. Because I think if you pass on a guy just because of the stuff around him, he's going to come back and kick the crap out of you for years to come. If he winds up a Phoenix Sun He's going to be playing alongside Devin Booker, forming one of the best backcourts in the NBA for the next 10 years. You just can't use all the ancillary stuff as a reason not to draft this kid. So, but you mentioned Josh Jackson. Yeah. I, I'm actually a big Josh Jackson I'm fan. I'm a fan, too. I just don't think he's better than Lonzo Ball. I don't think he's better than Jason Tatum, either. All right, well, if I think the, Tatum's a better player. Well, if player. you're the Celtics, and maybe this brings us back to Isaiah Thomas, do you think Isaiah Thomas is a max guy? Well, max contract guy? I, I mean, no, but... It's not a slight on Isaiah because if Isaiah gets a new contract, it's not going to be for max level terms. You know, if he, the, the whole thing with this renegotiation period this summer when uh, when he can add extra years onto that contract is to is a mutually beneficial situation. Isaiah doesn't have to go into next year making six, seven million dollars, and the Celtics can get a marquee player at a less than max market rate. So I don't know exactly what the number Isaiah would be. I think it's about $30 million. Mm-hmm. I think if they do get a deal done, it'll be somewhere in the low to mid-20 range over a, a four- or five-year extension, whatever it is they're going to be. So the, the, the argument of, about Isaiah being a max guy is kind of a red herring because he's never going to be that. If they get a deal done, it won't be for a max dollar. But, I mean, isn't it one or the other? Is it, you know, draft a point guard or keep Isaiah and, and trade the pick and bring someone else in? Because I kind of look at it like this. At, the, at the, this trade deadline that just passed this year, Isaiah Thomas showed some frustration in the days and weeks after that trade deadline. And this has just been my assumption, but if I put myself in his shoes and I know how good this team is and I know what type of season I'm having, I, want, I don't want the team to keep that pick and then draft the point guard. I want them to move that pick and help me build with this team. Or if you're going to keep the pick, don't draft the point guard, draft somebody else. So, I mean, is it one or the other when it comes to what the Celtics get at the draft lottery and what they'll have at the draft? If they take a point guard, do they have to move Isaiah Thomas? No, I don't think they have to. But look, I think your perspective is shared by Isaiah. I don't believe, no matter what is said publicly, that he wants them to draft another point guard. Why would you? Exactly. I I think that he wants them to use these draft assets to acquire veteran players that can help them win right away. As, As far as him being disappointed at the trade deadline... You can't be, because from what I understand, the Bulls and the Pacers were not all that engaging on their two star players 
and it would have taken everything to get Paul George and Jimmy Butler. If you go back at them this summer, the circumstance is still the same. This team wasn't beating Cleveland with George or Jimmy Butler on the team this year. It wasn't happening. If you get them this summer, you can still... The outcome is still the same. Next year, you're still a competitor. But look, there are two ways that Boston can go. The, the May 19th lottery is is just so unbelievably important for the or for the direction of this team. Mm-hmm. What they get there is going to dictate what Danny Ainge does. The, the two ways they're going to be they're going to decide to where to go is they can play the long game or they can play the short game. The short game is you get the second or third pick in the draft. You trade that for an asset. And then you, um, uh, you you get a veteran player there. And then you go out. And they're going to do this no matter what. But then you go out and you roll out that red carpet for Gordon Hayward like you wouldn't believe. Gordon Hayward, I believe, is going to be courted by the Celtics like you know he's a Kardashian. I mean, it is going to be all hands on deck to try to get Gordon Hayward out of, uh, out of Utah. They're going to use the Brad Stevens card. They'll offer a max contract. They'll tell him that playing in the East is probably easier than winning a championship than playing in the West. I don't know if that gets it done, but they're going to roll the red carpet out for him. So let's say they get the second pick. They trade it for Jimmy Butler. They sign Gordon Hayward. All of a sudden, you really are a competitor for the Cavaliers. But if they can't get either of those two things done, they have to start thinking about preparing for the post-LeBron Eastern Conference. And that will mean drafting a a, 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 a Lonzo Ball or Mm. a Josh Jackson or Jason Tatum and continuing the slow build. That won't make Isaiah Thomas happy. But in the best interest of the long-term health of the franchise, that might be the best way to go. But is, so the slow build does not involve Isaiah Thomas. No, it could. It absolutely could. Saying. No, it absolutely could. Look, I don't think you. Look, I don't think you give Isaiah Thomas away. Um, I think Isaiah can. I think Isaiah can play with the Markel Fultz. I think he could play with Alonzo Ball. Both these guys are bigger point guards, so they could play on the floor. And look, Isaiah's more of a scorer. He likes to have the ball in his hands, but Lonzo is a pass-first point guard. Fultz is also a pick-and-roll point guard. These two guys. It wouldn't be probably the most ideal situation. I'm sure Isaiah would have to take issue with it. Yeah. But they can play together on the same team. No, but that brings me back to putting myself in Isaiah Thomas's shoes. And I mean, he has some say in this as well because he's going to be a free agent after next season. And if he sees the team doing some things that won't put them over the hump in the next two to three years, I would think if I'm Isaiah Thomas, I say, you know what, I'm going to look elsewhere. So as much as we like to think, well, it's the Celtics' decision on Isaiah Thomas— if they're doing some things that make Isaiah Thomas unhappy, he also has some say in this matter where he might not want to stick around if they're not making the moves like a Jimmy Butler and a Gordon Hayward. Well, a couple things. Yes, he does have some say, but in order to have some say, he would have to play out his contract next year. And there's nothing Isaiah Thomas wants less than to have to play out another year on a well below market contract. So he's going to be looking to cash in this summer. And to do that, he's going to have to sign a long-term deal. So it's it's difficult for him to 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 really take that type of position when he absolutely wants to get paid. If he was a free agent this summer, it might be a different story. But mm. because he's he's going to be renegotiating after the season, uh, I think that makes it difficult for him. All right, so Gordon Haywood, he needs to opt out, but he's going to opt he's out. He's going to opt out. There's too much money on the table for a new contract for that to happen. And, and, and th- he's basically destined to play for Brad Stevens and the Celtics. <laughs> well, look, it, he'd have to leave money on the table the Utah Jazz can offer him the most money in a long-term five-year contract extension, and that's tough for guys to do. I know it's easy for us to sit here and say, well, you're getting $140 million here, but it's $180 million there. Yeah. It's still a lot of money. That's $40 million. Like, you're leaving a lot of money on the table if you're walking away. But from what I hear, like, the Brad Stevens connection is real. Um, that will be a factor in all this, and, uh, and we'll see. Um, I haven't bought into the Gordon Hayward stuff yet. No, I watch no, him yeah. play. Look, I, I understand that, but... He's not 
He's not a, like, what Utah wants him to be may not be what he is. A franchise player, a number one option on a team, that may not be what he is. But watch the Celtics in these playoffs. Gordon Hayward would be a difference maker on this team. They can't get a second scoring option. When the Wizards, watch the Wizards' last couple of games. All they do, and every team has done this the last couple of months, but Mm. they load up on Isaiah and they dare somebody else to beat them. And Boston is so reliant on somebody making three-point shots. If they're not making three-point shots consistently, if Jay Crowder's not knocking them down, if Avery Bradley's not knocking them down, they're in a world of trouble offensively. Gordon Hayward, no matter what his weaknesses are, he can create his own shot. He would be, I think, an ideal player alongside Isaiah Thomas. When it comes to a trade and possibly trading the pick to get that other scorer in here, right? Let's say Gordon Haywood, who knows? Let's say he has a change of heart, he stays in Utah. Let's say he gets a huge contract somewhere else after he opts out and goes there. Or even if he does come. And you still want to trade the pick to get someone like a Jimmy Butler. You look at someone like Paul George. Uh, I'm, I've been on record many times saying, I'd like to trade this pick if you can get a, a, an elite scorer like that. I'd love to see Jimmy Butler on the Celtics, even after what we saw in that first round series against the Celtics, the Bulls and the Celtics. People talk about Paul George. He's going the Lakers, though. I mean, we can pretty much rule out Paul George, nah, right? I mean, look, I, I don't... Look, would Paul George like to play in Los Angeles? Yes, but this is that whole Russell Westbrook wants to play in L.A. too. There's too many too many times uh, a line is drawn between players from that area and their desire to play in that area. If all things were equal, sure, I think Paul George would go uh, to L.A. However, if the Lakers are bad, guys don't want to go where play- teams are bad. Paul George, like all these guys coming out of their, fir- their second contracts, Paul George wants to go to a place he can win. He's looking at the prime of his career now. And if L.A. is still this dumpster fire they've looked like the last couple of years, why would he want to get up and go and sign there? Now, I think Paul George would not sign with Boston in the offseason, but we've seen in the past, when guys get traded here, and they become part of the culture here, and they see what's happening with this town, with the energy behind the team, with the coaching staff, they suddenly want to stay. So if Paul George comes here, I think he'd be inclined to resign. Yeah, him. but you don't trade a, you don't trade a top pick to get Paul George oh, unless God, he yeah. agrees. No, well you can't. I mean, he, it's like the Garnett thing. Yeah, remember they were they had the deal with Garnett, and then he wouldn't sign the extension. Well, I think it, with the Celtics. Well, I don't, and and then squash that deal at first. I forget the circumstance. I think he had to opt into a year in his contract. He did, or, and he said he wouldn't. His yeah. agent said his agent made it very clear: we're not going to opt in. We're not going to. He doesn't want to play in Boston. Yeah, but that worked out okay. Yeah, like that. Well, no, they eventually talked him into it because the deal with Golden, as we found out, the trade with Golden State didn't happen. Who are you talking about, Garnett? Garnett. Uh, he was then going to be traded to to Golden State. Because he wanted to play yeah, with Baron for, Davis. I, yeah, there was this. all that stuff going on, but but eventually they got Garnett to say, all right, I'm going to opt in, and I'm going to sign the extension which w- only happened, with the Celtics. Which only happened after they got Ray Allen. Like, they, like it was sure. like having, you know, once he realized that that was a true championship contender, no doubt. he signed on board with them. Look, it, it's a risk, but it's a calculated risk. And look, I'm with you. If it's the first or second overall pick in the draft, that's a monster risk to take. But if And look, one thing I know about Danny... And I know about Wick Grousebeck, the owner. They are gamblers. They will take chances like this. If Paul George is on the table, and look, if you get an, uh, uh, an agreement from Gordon Hayward, Paul George is going to want to stay. I'm telling you. you. If you have Isaiah, Al Horford, Paul George, and Gordon Hayward, that is a Cleveland-ready team right now. And that's a team for the next five years, which is what I was talking about. The prime of these guys' careers, the next five years, that compete for a championship. Yeah. I, I, Win champion. I love, obviously love the Garnett trade. I'm just saying that at the time, if you weren't going to make that move because Garnett wouldn't, Kevin Garnett wouldn't sign with you, you're not going to make that move if Paul George 
won't sign, won't re-sign with you. Well, look, you so, have to have Aaron Mintz, Paul George's agent. You have to have a conversation with him about how serious he is about playing for the Lakers. But I think you'd find having that conversation that winning is paramount to these guys. And Paul George has said, "I'll stay in Indiana if you can show me a path to winning." I don't see how they have that path right now. They're not very good in the next few years. I don't see them being very good. But Boston has a path to winning. Boston has a ready-made championship team. And I'm telling you, when guys get somewhere and they see that they can win, it changes their perspective immensely. All right. Well, I guess maybe you can agree with me on this. Jimmy Butler is the most logical trade target, right? If they are going to make that move? it's It's an easier pill to swallow if you're giving up a draft pick because Jimmy's under control for two more years. And because they've already, it, it kind of feels like, and maybe you'll be able to tell me more about this than, than I believe, but it, it, it has a feel like there have already been several in-depth conversations with the Bulls about Jimmy Butler. Oh, there. Have, I mean, I think there have been conversations with both teams about their respective stars. Um, could the Bulls have gone a little bit deeper? Yeah, I, I, would, say, I would say that's probably fair um, with, with Boston, but um, yeah, I, I would take I would take Butler. Butler to me would be uh, would be an easier guy to acquire. I don't think he would cost quite as much as Paul George would with Indiana. But either one of those players plus Gordon Hayward that is the ideal outcome for the Celtics. Would it cost the Celtics less coming up here if we find out it's guaranteed they get number one overall? I mean, would it would it would they be able to take an a roster player that was eventually going to be part of that deal off the table? Oh, yeah. Look, I wrote this a couple of months back, and, and this was kind of in defense of Boston not making, not going all in, making the trade before the deadline. If they get the number one pick in the draft, even if it's the number two pick in the draft, because Chicago wants a point guard. Chicago is so point guard starved. That's why they made that deal for Cameron Payne, thinking they could develop him. They want another Derrick Rose. So they want to try to build around another point guard. If you have number two, and that's going to be Lonzo Ball, they're going to be starved to get him. But if I have one or two, and I'm going to the Bulls, I'll say, look, I'll give you the first or second pick. Uh, I'll give you a, a couple of roster fillers to make salaries work. But I want your lottery pick back, too. I want whatever it is, 8, 9, uh, or the, not their lottery pick, now they made the playoffs. Yeah. I want the 14th or 15th pick back uh, as well. So I would ask for assets back in return because of how valuable that first or second pick is. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying when it comes to the, like, we talk about Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder combined with... I was never going to be that, though. Like, Jay Crowder, maybe. Jay Crowder would probably have to be in the mix for a deal like that. Avery Bradley, I doubt. I, I mean, Avery, Avery's so good, and Avery's under contract for another year. He's like, he's like a mini Jimmy Butler. He can score, he can defend. I wouldn't just throw him in like that in a deal that also includes the first or second pick. Crowder, you might have to part with because of his contract. It's appealing, multiple years left on it. But I don't think it's all this stuff, like this trade machine stuff that goes yeah. on out there. I don't think any of that is really true. All right. Well, the Celtics now playing the Wizards. The series is tied at two, and. I guess I'll ask you, does how this rest of this season, like whatever happens the rest of the season against the Wizards, or let's say they go to the Eastern Conference Finals, they lose to the Cavs, is there anything that can happen that might change the Celtics' direction? Or if they already basically made it and we're just waiting to see where the ping pong balls fall? Well, beating the Cavs would be the only thing that, that probably you know radically changes what Boston's trying to do. And look, it, it what they're going to do, is is entirely predicated on next Tuesday. It, it, what happens on Tuesday mm-hmm. is going to dictate a lot with what this team uh, decides to do. It's just speculation up until that point. The first pick, I think they keep no matter what. I think Markel Fultz is the guy. From second on down, I think it's a game changer. They could deal that for anybody. All right, so what do the Celtics got to do to beat the Wizards? Because uh, you look at the last game, the 26-0 run, 
Brad Stevens even said, you know, we'd like to see, we'd rather just kick the ball into the stands and be able to set up on defense when there is a turnover. It's just the stupid turnovers trying to dribble through and thread the needle and get your pocket picked. It was like never ending. I mean, that stuff can't happen. That's obvious. But we get into, you talk about the starting lineup. Look, Gerald Green, I could understand at first when you made that move, but now it's like, I don't need to see Gerald Green at all in these games. And Amir Johnson, to me, I said it the other day, he's useless. I just, I don't even understand why you put him out there at all. What would you do for, let's start with a starting lineup for the Celtics. Like, what would you roll out there in in games five, six, and possibly game seven? I would play Terry Rozier in the starting lineup. I've been calling for that um, even after game two of the first round. I mean, Brad was right playing Gerald Green in games three and four against the Bulls. He was a game changer uh, for them out there. But playing Rozier allows you to keep your rotation set with Marcus Smart coming off the bench keep everything kind of in line. And I think Rogier has been really good. I think, you know, he's making shots. He's providing defensive energy. He's only been playing in spurts. But if you look at the numbers when he's going up against John Wall, he's been very good in his matchups with John Wall early on. Now, it's a small sample size. It could change. But I would play Terry Rogier. The second part of what they have to do is their front court has to show up. Their front court cannot get beat in the same way they've been getting beat uh, by Marching Gortat and Markeith Morris over these last couple of games. That's mm-hmm. what the Celtics will tell you. That front, those front court players, Olinick, Al Horford, everybody else, they've got to show up and be better. Yeah, and you know what? You just you look at some of those Bulls games where I think it was Game Three in Chicago. They came out of the gate hitting every shot that they took. Crowder. Horford, even Bradley, they were just burying threes. You get that type of start in your own building in Game Five. That's the thing too. Like the Bulls, you know, privately they're they're people, not the Bulls, the Wizards. You know, they tend to fold in tough environments. That's why their road record is what it is, under five hundred during the regular season on the road. When the going gets tough and the crowd gets into it. Not all of their players respond properly. John Wall will. John Wall is a great player. Not a good player, a great player. And if Isaiah didn't do what he did in the first couple of games, we would be talking about John Wall mm-hmm. and the historic play he's had during this series. Uh, but everybody else, I think they're susceptible. Bradley Beal had an awful game, too. I think the crowd got to him a little bit. Uh, same thing with Markeith Morris, who's a very emotional guy. Gortat, same thing. If Boston could put together a run, if they can make three-point shots, you can get in the Wizards' heads, and that'll be a big reason they win. Yeah, and the home court. I think the Celtics still win this series. I picked it. Picked the Celtics in seven going in. I did it basically because they're going to have that game seven at home. So I'm still sticking with Celtics in seven. I would say the same thing. I think, you know, look, the home team has won every game between mm-hmm. these teams uh, in the regular season and the uh, and the postseason. So I, I think, look, Kelly Olynyk, he's a guy that I'm going to keep my eye on the next couple of games. He can't let all this stuff get in his head. He's got to go out there and make shots. You mentioned the starting lineup. The starting lineup for the Wizards is going to beat the starting lineup for the Celtics. They are going to outscore them. That's what they do. They're one of the best starting lineups in all of basketball. Not just the Eastern Conference, but all of basketball. The bench, though, their bench sucks. Their bench is not good. And Boston's bench has to step up and be better in those second quarter, third quarter spurts. All right, so if the Celtics do get by the Wizards, it's the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Final. And I think we both agree there's no shot to beat the Cavs. No, No I, I I just don't see it. I mean... You know, Boston's confident. They've gone to Cleveland and won games before, but this is not the same. This is not regular season Cleveland. Mm-hmm. This is LeBron at 32 years old doing, like, un- unheard of things. Like, 34.5 points per game in the playoffs. I mean, it is... He toyed with a team that I thought had a realistic shot of beating them, the Toronto Raptors. The Raptors, I thought, this year were built to play against Cleveland. The backcourt was experienced. I thought they put up a fight. They, I thought they put up a fight. I was in Rio this summer, and I spent time around DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, and, and their, 
their focus on getting to the Cavaliers and beating them after going out in six games, besides winning a gold medal, that was their secondary focus. They mm. were in the gym at all times working towards that goal. The Ibaka trade thought made them better, and they got toyed with. This Cavaliers team, they're legit. I'm now rethinking my who's the favorite in the finals thought. I thought Golden State would be a considerable favorite. Now I think it's more 50-50. Really? Yeah. I mean, look at look at the two years ago. This is what LeBron could do. Two years ago, it was LeBron versus the Warriors, and they still won two games. Because Kyrie got hurt. They still won two games, yeah. But now you have uh, uh, a team that's all playing really good basketball. I, I think it's a toss-up. All right, so they're not going to beat the Cavs, but we both believe the Celtics will beat the Wizards. But we, getting, look, getting we, to the conference finals for a team that's yet that didn't get out of the first sure. round last couple of years, major accomplishment. Well, th- honestly, going into the playoffs, I, I, people try to knock the Celtics. They're like, oh, well, they're not a real number one seed. I, and, and I kept I telling I don't know people, what that means. Like, I they, don't either. You win. At, at some point, when you win 53 games and you beat some of the te- I mean, they beat Golden State. They beat Cleveland. When you win 53 games and you're a one seed, here are my expectations for you. You win your first round playoff series against an eight seed, and looking at the matchup with the set brackets, I just thought they should be able to beat the Wizards or the Hawks. So if you get to the Eastern Conference Finals, in my opinion, for this Celtics team, you match my expectations. But my expectations, as yours are as well, not to beat. They're not going to beat the Cavaliers. So it's going to be Cavaliers, Golden State, sort of the rubber match of this. Uh, what three year NBA final set? More to come too. Uh, more to come after five, that, maybe. Um, so we got the Celtics in the playoffs. Also back here in Boston, Chris, we get this nostalgic feeling. The other night, watching KG Area Twenty One. I'm sure you watched this. Yep, you watched it's the great. whole thing. It's great. TV. I didn't even know what this was. It was people amazing. Are tweeting it, and I'm like, what is KG Area Twenty One? And who's this kid, the Wonder Boy? He's got my job. Reading off the uh, <laughs> the Facebook messages and stuff. That's my gig. I want that job for KG Area 21. The, the, the biggest takeaway is really the, one of the dumbest, most petty things I've seen in a long time with regards to the Ray Allen invitation to not just that little reunion, but also their little 10-year anniversary, championship anniversary vacation that they're going to take that... Yep. Rajon Rondo was running and we've known this for a couple months now this story came out and they're not going to invite Ray Allen and they talked about this they addressed this whole Ray Allen situation you said it just a few minutes ago in this podcast when we look back at the Garnett deal that if not for the Ray Allen trade Garnett doesn't even accept coming to the Celtics signing the extension of playing for the Celtics he then saw a winner with Allen and Pierce and said you know what that's where I want to go and when you look also at what Ray Allen did on the court for that those Celtics teams, without Ray Allen, there is no championship anniversary because there is no championship. There's no party. There's no nostalgic feeling. I don't even know if there's KG Area 21. Ray Allen deserves an invite to that party, to that reunion, more than anybody. He should be sending out the invites, Chris. Yeah, look, I, I agree. Uh, the frostiness that exists between Ray Allen and and most of the rest of his teammates in Boston is a little bit weird. Uh, I understood it in the moment. I mean, not only do you leave the team, not only do you not tell your teammates you're leaving, but you go to their principal competitor. You go to the Miami Heat, which is at that time kind of the equivalent of, you know, uh, let's just say it's like Robert Parrish going to the Lakers, like just signing on. You're going to your top uh, competitor in your uh, in your respective conference. Uh, that being said, it was just all kind of a little bit over the top. The, the reaction since then—I mean, it's been almost ten years—that that this is that this is still a thing—is a little bit uh, a little bit too much for me. 
Why? I mean, I know Paul Pierce and Perk said, you know, it's the way it it's the way it happened. Ray Allen didn't dress the team and just decided to go without talking to anybody. But these guys admitted, you know, these funny, guys bro- admitted they saw it coming, though. Like Avery Bradley, how he was starting to emerge in that final season where Ray was there. Uh, the relationship with Rondo, which they didn't talk about that much. The Rondo relationship. Rondo didn't talk. Rondo was, was quiet. Because Rondo knows. Because Rondo helped. You know, I don't want to say helped force him out, but that friction. Uh, you know, played a role there. Doc Rivers even acknowledged after the fact that that friction uh, was a factor in all this. Plus, look, Ray Ray was not going to stick around Boston to be a sixth man behind Avery Bradley. And that's where it was trending. He could have been a sixth man playing for the Miami Heat, a new organization. Mm-hmm. He was not going to be a sixth man in Boston. The team he helped win a championship and, and play behind Avery Bradley. Yeah, I, I mean, the, Rondo didn't talk during that whole thing. And they even kind of they even kind of joked about it looking over saying, Doe, you got anything to say? And they laughed and he just kind of sat there. Now, the things that I've heard, and you've probably heard craziest stories to me, and I don't know if if you can talk about any of what's off the record and what's not, but things that I've heard from people close to, to Ray is that the relationship with Ray Allen and Rondo was so bad to the point where Rondo wouldn't even give him the ball at practice. And it would almost have Ray in tears. To the point where it's like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing here right now? It went beyond the Doc Rivers Avery Bradley thing. I, you know, when I hear about the Ray Allen Rondo relationship, I think that you know that's the thing. And I watched that show the other night. I go, well, they're not really addressing the Rondo Ray Allen relationship, and Rondo won't talk about it. So that's kind of confirming that that's the thing, well, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, again, it, it was one of a few variables that pushed Ray Allen at the door. It was a considerable one. But it was one of a few. Now, as far as their relationship goes, um, I think the best way to characterize it is that Ray had certain expectations for how younger players should act, that they should be deferential to older players. Now, Rondo was never kind of built that way, and the other Celtic stars didn't care. I mean, Paul, he didn't give a damn how Rondo acted as long as he came out there on the floor and played the way he did. KG and Rondo had this bond early on that made them almost brothers throughout this whole process. Ray had a different take on it. Ray felt that Rondo um, should be more respectful, I guess I should say, of of veterans on that team. And, it, and Rondo was just never that type of guy. Rondo was, from day one, Rondo came in and said, and was basically, you know, I- I'm going to do me, and I'm not going to worry about everything that's going on around me. That's where the friction began, and, and it kind of just escalated from there. I don't think it was anything that happened on the court, because their chemistry on the court was pretty good. I mean, Rondo is a pass-first point guard. Rondo is a playmaker. You saw, I mean, the highlight reels alone show you how many plays Rondo made for Ray Allen. I don't think anything to do with on the court. It was more off the court with how Rondo behaved, and that was a way Ray didn't want him to behave. Uh, Ray, it doesn't sound like Ray's going to be the one to give them the call. Because the Celtics say Ray Ray owes them a call. I don't think that's going to happen. I've been told Ray just doesn't want the drama, doesn't care about it, and he's moved on. Yeah, but time heals all wounds. Like, I guarantee you, in two years, you're going to see them on, like, Ray Allen's golf course or something like that. They got four (laughs) guys that are retired. What the hell else are they going to do? Like, they'll... Paul probably the... Because Paul... Paul really doesn't give a damn. Like, Paul is the king of I don't give a damn about this kind of stuff. Like, Paul, I'm sure, if he winds up, uh, you know, uh, around Ray Allen, like, you know, let's play some golf, let's go hang out, there'll be a picture taken somewhere, I think he's the first domino to fall there. Because the other guys, you know, Paul might say, like, it hurt him, but at this point, Paul does not care. It does not not affect Paul Pierce in the same way it might affect other people. All right. um, Not only do you have the NBA podcast on the vertical, you also have a boxing podcast. Again, they're going to drop this week on Thursday. So before I let you go here, just a quick thoughts, 
a quick couple thoughts on what's going on in the fight game because you were in Vegas over the weekend for Canelo versus Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Canelo, this was just a beating. I mean, I know it was a decision, unanimous decision, Canelo wins. This was an absolute beating. But after the fight was the big story that they made the announcement, Gennady Golovkin versus Canelo Alvarez on September 16th. This is the fight that we've all been begging for, Chris. We've been begging for this fight. What's taking it so long? Well, I mean, the the first reason is that Golden Boy, Canelo's promoter, didn't believe that Canelo was ready for that type of fight. And given what Golovkin had done to previous opponents over the last few years, not just beating them, but laying waste to them, Mm -hmm. like uh, just hammering them into oblivion, uh, that was a big reason for this. They wanted to take their time. They wanted to build Canelo up a little bit more. And as we've seen with these lawsuits, they've kind of laid bare the financials of Golden Boy promotions. Canelo Alvarez doesn't just represent a majority of their income. It's virtually all of their income. They mm-hmm. don't make money off pretty much anybody else but Canelo Alvarez. So the risk of putting him in with Golovkin at that time, it, it, it didn't outweigh the reward for them. Now, they recognize now that after saying for the last year plus that September 2017 was when it was going to happen, they had to make it happen. And I think the fact, and I talked to Tom Loeffler, Golovkin's promoter about this, the fact that the Jacobs fight that Golovkin just fought, it didn't end with Jacobs flat on his back, you know, looking up at the ceiling. That gave them a little bit more confidence sure. that Canelo can go into this fight. And even if he loses, he won't get embarrassed or his career won't be over after the fact. That plus, I mean, Golovkin basically... Like I tweeted the other day, like if Golovkin was getting paid in Golden Boy stock, it wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Like he gave in everything to make this deal happen. He is the unified middleweight champion, the best middleweight in the world, and he is the B-side in every possible way during this promotion. So he did everything humanly possible to make it happen, and Golden Boy believed that now was the time that Canelo was right for and, it. And part of the deal is, I read yesterday, I think you might have retweeted someone who, who tweeted this out, Canelo, if he wins, he get, he can fight whoever he wants. If he loses, he he, he ha, you know Golovkin has to fight him. Has again. to fight him if he wants an immediate rematch. Golovkin has to give it to him. That's what I'm saying. Like you're going to see more. Like Golovkin's side, they won't talk about the de- terms of the deal because they're embarrassed by them. Because the terms of the deal are terrible for mm. them. Meanwhile, Golden Boy's side, you're going to see in the next couple of months, little things will be trickling out. We don't quite know the percentage yet. I would imagine it's at least sixty forty in favor of Canelo, if not significantly more. Um, that stuff is going to trickle out from the Golden Boy side as they puff their chest and, and want to show people they won this deal. But Canelo was ducking him, no, right? The fighter, Canelo, the fighter doesn't duck anybody. He doesn't duck. Anybody. But come on, he was the lineal. Ch- I mean, he's the lineal champ, right? And I mean, like, what does that mean? Like, he, he fought. He well, fought, that means the mandatory challenger. He fought. Cotto, you got to step up and fight him, and he, he wouldn't fight Golovkin. He, he fought Cotto at one fifty-five, and that was if he had fought a legitimate one sixty pounder and then ducked Cot- uh, duck Golovkin. I might have said. I might have been a little bit more uh, aggressive in saying that he was ducking, but he fought Cotto at 155. He beat Cotto. He didn't want to go up to 160 at that point. That's fine. If he had avoided it now after fighting at 164, even the Golden Boy guys will tell you. But it that's was why he fought at 164. He fought right? for money. He fought. Look, that's that's a no. He fought. No. He fought. He fought Chavez because that fight did over 900,000 pay-per-view buys and made him probably 20-plus million All right, but you don't think fighting at 164 and a half had to do had something to do with the fact that the next fight would be at 160, no, no. a weight that he didn't want to go to originally no, to fight Golovkin? Nothing to do with it. It was the fact that Chavez was there 
And he knew an all-Mexican showdown with Chavez would make him a fortune. It had nothing to do with 164. I think he was eventually gone up. Maybe it would have been Billy Joe Saunders in a fight that they were talking to him about at 160. But 164 was simply about the cash that could be made in that, uh, uh, that Chavez fight. All right, fight. then, well, at least he saw what happened in the Jacobs fight. And the Jacobs took him the distance and, and thought, wow, all right, maybe Golovkin has lost a step. Maybe he's going to be even older. When I, By the time I fight him, they see their opportunity. So then I ask, well, all right, did did they wait too like did everybody wait too long to get this going? Like, is this going to be one of these fights? And I guess my my main question is, does Golovkin still have everything he had a year and a half ago? I mean, is he the same fighter after getting taken to the distance, or do you I, see I a different guy? I don't think he's the exact same fighter we saw two years ago. I think he's probably ninety percent of that fighter, though. And part of the reason he's not scoring these devastating knockouts, he didn't against Jacobs, is that. The same reason that guys early in their career score knockouts and later they don't. The competition gets better. Mm-hmm. Jacobs was the best fighter that Golovkin went against. He had an excellent game plan that he adjusted mid-fight going southpaw and prevented that big right hand from landing on Golovkin. So no, I don't think that Golovkin is any worse. And I think if Canelo stands there and tries to trade with him, he is going to wind up flat on his back. Go, you taking early? You got an early pick? Yeah, I got Golovkin. Golovkin. I, 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 I is look- he best for best pound for pound fighter in the world? Golovkin uh, number one. Well, it's him, it's Andre Ward. You now that Ward. Chocolatito is, is Chocolatito is lost. lost, yep. Uh, it's him, and it's Andre Ward, probably neck and neck. What about yeah. Kovalev? It, did, did Kovalev lose that fight to Ward? I had, I had Kovalev winning. I had but, Kovalev winning, But too. I don't think it was a robbery. I, I don't, like, robberies are the, like, the, the, the 119, 109 score that should have gone the other way. That's a robbery. Winning by a couple of points where Ward is masterful at stealing rounds, I, I don't think that's a robbery. I'm glad the rematch is happening. I favor Kovalev in the rematch. I think he's being disrespected as, like, this dumb Russian that can't adjust in the ring, whereas Andre Ward's this masterful American Olympian. I think Kovalev can adjust, too. Uh, but uh, I, I think it's a toss-up fight. I think Kovalev deserves to be in the discussion for best pound-for-pound fighter. Yeah, I mean, but but he lost he lost the fight, and and again, I didn't have a huge problem with the decision, so I, I can't. He's in the discussion. I think yeah. he's top five, uh, top ten at the la- at the lowest, but I, I don't think he's in the top two or three. All right, so you got Golovkin. They stole the September sixteenth date for Mayweather McGregor. At least that's what Dana White. That's what UFC saying. Um, I Dana been, White's just making stuff. Up. I Dana, well, Dana is just. You know, what? I've been told. I've been told that. The September 16th was an important date, but also been told after that it might not happen for another six months to a year. No. I don't understand how one date could change it and push it back that far. September, because Dana's making stuff up. Like, this is... Look, I, I had Steven Espinosa on, on my podcast, and I got him on the record talking about this, because Steven is intimately involved in this process. Steven's the head of Showtime. Uh, Showtime will be uh, the pay-per-view distributor for this fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was on the record saying he didn't believe that Dana White really wanted this fight. That Dana White was... Uh, obstructing this fight. Not just not helping to facilitate it, but actively obstructing it. I'm paraphrasing sort of what he was saying there. Um, I believe that. Like, there's not much upside for Dana White. And the fear, I think, for Dana is not that that McGregor goes out and gets beat by Floyd Mayweather, because that's going to happen anyway. He's not going to win that fight. But that McGregor takes a $50 million payday and says, see you later, guys. I'm going back to Ireland. I'm done fighting. He's quasi-retired before. I think he, the, the fear in the UFC is that he does it. And as... as as excellent, and UFC does this better than any, better than boxing, that's for sure, as great as they are at creating new stars. Ronda Rousey goes out, uh, Conor McGregor comes in, they can do it again with somebody else. As great as they are, I don't think that Dana White necessarily wants to help make a promotion that is going to, could blatantly cost him his marquee star. So I have been on record many times believing this fight is never going to happen. 
I understand why Floyd's begging for it because this is an easy payday for him. That's a hundred million bucks. Mm-hmm. He's going to cash a check in a fight that's going to be more boring than Chavez versus Canelo. I agree. Incredibly boring. Uh, but I wouldn't count on it from the sole reason that I don't think UFC wants to fight. As boring as that fight would be, you know the build-up to that fight oh, sure. the was, press would, be would be as surreal. big as we've ever seen. Press conference would be would be ridiculous. But they for, do it in Ireland. They do it in New York. They do it in L.A. They do it in Vegas. I mean, it would be ridiculous. And look, me and you, we're not working for Golden Boy promotions, but um, I think it's fair to say that we can tell the audience that might not pay attention to boxing every day, we could tell them that the... The bigger fight out of the two in the ring, the better fight, is obviously Golovkin-Canelo. Oh, if you're going to pay money for a fight, it's Golovkin-Canelo. Because those two guys, I mean, they're calling it bombs away is kind of goofy. I mean, the whole early promotion's been kind of goofy with the Undertaker style. Uh, uh, <laughs> lights go out, here comes Golovkin. By the way, doing that, you know, people just watched a, a 12-round sparring session. When you do that, it makes people think once again that fights are fixed. Like, if you already have this all planned, this this whole uh, sh- uh, the lights off thing all planned... I don't think the fight was fixed because I don't think I just never thought that Chavez was that good. I think he was brilliantly matchmaked uh, by top rank early in his career. But doing that creates this perception that this was fixed. That being said, it's it's impossible to look at the two styles of, of Canelo and Golovkin and think it's going to be anything but an all up brawl. All right, final question: If let's say Golovkin Canelo took place on the same night as Game 7 of, I know it's not going to, but Game 7, Golden State, Cleveland. I know because you, you cover both sports. Which event would you rather go to if you had a choice? Uh, I would probably rather go to Golovkin-Canelo just because I've seen Game 7 between Golden State and Cleveland before. I'll probably see it again next year. Uh, I'd rather go. I like the fact that it's in September because outside of early college football, uh, it takes away, that's probably the best date humanly possible. Uh, it takes away from that that primetime audience. I think there'll be a huge audience for it. I think it does a million and a half pay-per-view buys. I think it's a, it's an enormous event. All right, he's Chris Mannix. Follow him on Twitter, at Chris Mannix YS. Also get his podcast, the Vertical Podcast NBA, and also the Yahoo Sports Boxing Podcast. Both will be available, new episode available this Thursday. Chris, thanks for stopping by. Great stuff. Hope to talk to you soon. Anytime, man. And you can get this show whenever you want at dannypicard.com. Also available on iTunes, Google Play, and wherever podcasts are available. Also now on the Podcast One Network. Follow me on Twitter, at Danny Picard. Like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Danny Picard Show. I am out. Talk to you soon.